Hello and welcome back to the Pads Dads podcast. I'm Ben, I'm dad to Leo who's eight months old and we found out when he was four days old that he had Down syndrome. Pads is an initiative from Down Syndrome UK which is a registered UK charity. Pads stands for positive about Down syndrome and I think that yeah you know this podcast is all about kind of talking about every aspect of having a child with the diagnosis of Down syndrome. There are good things, there absolutely are and I think that you know, this conversation that I'm having today with Rich highlights that. It shows that you know you learn a lot about yourself and your relationship when you get a diagnosis like this. And you also learn that actually there's a lot that your son or daughter can do. And of course, there are negative things. And, and Rich talks about that in this episode too, in terms of some of the health complications that have come along with um, his son Asher's diagnosis of, of Down syndrome. Yeah, I've really enjoyed this chat with Rich. He's a really cool guy. And, you know, he's become a dad. He's got an older child as well. He's a, he's a, well, I say rock star. He's a, he's a metal star. You know, he's in a really big metal band that tours the world. And he just lives the most amazing life. But obviously his kids and his family life is the most important thing to him. It's a really cool chat. I really hope you enjoy it. And of course, please do. If you feel like you do want to reach out, you don't have to. Of course you don't. But if you feel like you do, uh, then you can find all the links and stuff that you need. Uh, DownSyndromeUK.co.uk is the main website. You can search for Positive About Down Syndrome on social media. And don't forget, there's also some groups specifically for Pads Dads. So there's a Pads Dads and a Pads Dads to be uh, closed private Facebook groups as well. So search for them. Right, let's crack on. Let's meet Rich. Um, I hope you enjoy this episode. Today, I'm joined by a Pad's dad with a really great beard. Uh, it's Rich Henshaw. Rich, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. The first question. I just want to know, like, did you always want to be a dad? I did always want to be a dad. And then as soon as I became a dad, I thought, why did I do that? <laughs> that was insane. I've got no time left to do anything. But uh, yeah, it's, it's the best thing I've ever done. I've got two children. You know, they keep me very busy and they keep me up at night a lot of the time. But, you know, the, the positive things that have come out of it really outweigh that. And it's, yeah, it's a magical experience. So two kids, seven and two, seven and two. So there's a bit, yeah, it's a bit of a gap. Asher is two. He has Down syndrome, and our older kid, who's seven, Eli, uh, because he's five years older, he's starting to be aware of it, and you know he kind of gets stuck in and helps out with various things, which is you know, really great to see. That's amazing to hear. So a bit more about you then. I introduced you and said that you're a man with a great beard. It's kind of like a, a kind of, like, I would definitely describe it as a metal beard. And there is a very good reason why. <laughs> Did you say great beard or grey beard? I said a great, a, great I beard. Feel, I must pronunciate I my say, T's. Well, I've definitely got a grey beard. <laughs> Whether it's great, who knows? I mix in metal circles like you picked up on. And some of those beards are even more great. But uh, yeah, I play in a metal band and the band is called Haken. I say metal, it's more geek metal, so it's progressive metal. And, you know, it's like a bit of a niche market. So we, we do get to tour around the world, play lots of shows. So I'm very lucky to be able to do that. We Before we started recording, you said that you just come back from America and you're off, yes. you've done Download Festival. And this week yeah. you're flying off to Europe. 
Like, how does that? Yeah. How does that work? Being a dad, like, how does that kind of yeah all fit? It's very tricky to be honest. Being a father is the hardest part about you know going away, and it's really tricky. The way I justify it in my brain is that when I'm at home, I'm not doing a nine to five job, so I'm there all the time. So I think in you know over the course of a year, it balances out. I get to spend great time. I can take my children to school, to nursery, and I can pick them up every day. But when I'm away on the tours, it's very tricky. And it's definitely a burden, uh, not only on, on me and my children, but on my wife as well, who has to uh, you know, do the lion's share of everything. But luckily, we've got support around us. We've got help, and that goes a long way. Amazing. Richard, I'd like to to take you back to when you first found out about Asher's diagnosis of Down syndrome. Um, in your email to me, you said, it took the wind out of our sails for a bit, but two years on, we're finally finding our feet. Asher's life started quite chaotically because he was born early. I think, actually, like Jim, who we had on the last episode, um, both his daughter Millie and your son Asher were seven weeks early. Can you tell me what you can remember about that day? I mean, we we weren't expecting it at all. Uh, we were just making some dinner. Sev got some contractions, like, yeah, seven weeks ahead of the due date. Suddenly, we phoned out the midwife, and they're like, just relax, have a bath, see see what happens. Half an hour later, the contractions started to get more frequent. So we phoned back up, and they said, you need to come in right away. Two hours later, Ash has been delivered by an emergency C-section, and I wasn't even allowed in the room because it was quite a, an emergency, I guess. So I was panicking about the health of my wife and Asha. And I wasn't really thinking about anything at that time. It was just a big mess in my head. And then 20 minutes later, he was born. And luckily, he was breathing. He was healthy. So that was the main thing. And we were just happy about that. And then he was taken down to an antenatal unit. I'm sure kind of Jim would have gone through a similar situation. And I, I was just in a state of shock because I didn't know what to do. I was in this room and I've got my son who's tiny because he's seven weeks ahead of the due date and he's in an incubator. So I can't pick him up and hug him and give him, you know, a bit of consolation. And then upstairs, I've got my wife who's out cold. who's just had a serious operation. So my brain was just a big mess. Like, what do I do in this situation? Eventually, Seth came around, my wife, and she was obviously in like great pain because she just had this c-section just had her belly cut open and she managed to get the energy to go downstairs and thankfully asha latched on to the boob which was a, a great deal because you know we were panicking about all these things like is he going to be strong enough like what are the repercussions of being born seven weeks ahead of time and at, at this time we weren't even really thinking about down syndrome at all it wasn't a thing and then around that time, we noticed that he had these two webbed fingers on each hand, kind of like Spider-Man. <laughs> I was like, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> he looks like Spider-Man. And I'm a, guitar, I'm a guitarist. So I was like, wow, surely he could do some really interesting bar chords <laughs> with those hands. Um, but then I was like, it's a bit odd because I've never really seen that before. So we obviously Googled it and they said, sometimes there's a connection with Down syndrome. So we're like, okay, maybe it's a coincidence. We'll see. We'll see. And then we noticed there was a gap between his big toe yeah. and the next toe along. Yeah. And that is more common in uh, Down syndrome children. Um, so with those two things, 
we started to think, okay, maybe there's something going on here. But we didn't start to panic because we we're so focused on the fact that he's premature. We just want to make sure he's healthy, you know, breathing and he's getting all the nutrition he needs. But around that time, there were some trainee doctors there and they said they want to do some genetic tests, I guess, which is similar to, to your story, right? Because you had yeah. a yeah like the day after leo was born literally right? the day after so we had leo uh, say we had gem did the vast majority of the work richard i'm not gonna lie but <laughs> leo was born at home and that was you know exactly what we wanted and wow. for gem because gem's got two kids from a previous relationship who will be officially my stepchildren in the summer when we get married and i'm gonna be Whoa. like the evil stepdad i'm like get to your room i'm practicing now get to your room get you stay there um get to your room and play guitar for nine hours a day yeah, exactly <laughs> that's what you should do um and i'd love it if they did that and just try and prize the, <laughs> the ps5 controller out of alfie's hand and put a guitar in but he's not having it oh, um, that's the dream <laughs> so yeah jem's previous experiences hadn't been great and they were hospital and you know she really wanted to have the baby at home and it was just like it was magical like leah's my first child and just everything you kind of want it to be i suppose that kind of moment where you see his head and you're like oh my god like wow you know that's a baby it's half me like all of that and it was it was amazing and it was on a sunday morning born at 225 so we just kind of you know went upstairs to bed afterwards which was mad like we come downstairs <laughs> that morning just the two of us and we went back upstairs Lucky. three of us but then it was the the monday that the midwife came around to do the kind of proper top to toe check and yeah so day one she was like look you know just so you know um i'd like you to go to older hay which is our local children's hospital up here in liverpool um like to go to older hay i'd like you to ask them for a genetic test because there's a few things here which might point to to down syndrome and so literally we went straight off and then for the rest of the day we were sitting this is the day after gem's given birth to leo you know they're obviously amazing and you know so much love and respect for the nhs always they are rushed off their feet we were sitting there for hours and hours and hours it was weird because two separate doctors came in and you know looked at him and went of course we'll do the tests to kind of put your mind at ease is how they phrased it but we wouldn't have necessarily raised this concern so it's the midwife that spotted it um but yeah and then day four like literally a few days later we we got the results back you know and they said oh we'll, we'll call you in a couple of weeks time just to kind of let you know that all is clear and but when we got that phone call we can can you come in on thursday we thought right something's going on here but i suppose it kind yeah. of it burst our baby bubble quite quickly i suppose and it's something that i've been quite angry about since then but then i talked to you know for example your story seven weeks early seven weeks is a lot of weeks when it comes to you know, I know. we were in this state of shock like we were really concerned like is he developed enough like is he what what are the repercussions of this is he going to have some kind of developmental issue is his brain developed enough yeah and down syndrome wasn't on the radar at all until they said we're going to do these genetic tests and it's a similar thing to you where three days later four days later they gave us a call and Seb was already in the hospital because she was uh, breastfeeding. Um, that's another thing, by the way. It was during COVID, so we weren't right. able to see Asher at the same time. Oh, so we'd wow. have to go in individually. And my other son, who was five at the time, he wasn't able to see him for about a month or so because he was in hospital for a month. And um, so, yeah, we would have to explain to Eli, yeah, they're just looking after him for a bit. You know, he's a special baby and they're going to just give him a bit of extra care. Then he'll come home and we'll all be able to be a family again. 
Um, so yeah, so that was a strange time being in COVID. So we'll be covered in our masks and, you know, you try and hug your baby, but you're surrounded by doctors and it was odd. It was odd. I'm not going to lie. But anyway, so we got this phone call three days after we uh, taken the tests. And then I'm, I'm sure it was the same for you. You just kind of knew at that point. You yeah. just knew. So I came in and there's a lovely doctor called Dr. Conrad who um, gave us the diagnosis. He took us to a small room and he said this thing to me that's really stuck with me. He said, you, you've got two children. They're both going to be climbing up that mountain. Eli is going to go one way and Asha is going to go a slightly different route. You might take a bit longer to get to the top, but he'll get there and he'll enjoy the view when he gets there. And I was like, that's really quite profound. And it's almost become like a mantra for us. So every time there's a like a tricky moment or a down moment, I'll think of that and I feel like, yeah, he's just taking his time. You know, he's working a bit ex- extra hard to get up to the top of the mountain, but he will, he will get there and he'll enjoy the view when he gets there. But having said that, when we first received the news, I'm sure it was the same for you, I'm not going to lie, it was very, it was devastating. It was like a massive shift of everything because yeah. you have this vision of what your son is going to be and you know, where he's going to grow up and he's going to go off to uni, all these things. Suddenly that's shattered and you start to worry about everything. You, you worry about his health. You worry about how it's going to affect your other son. You worry about stuff like, will he ever be independent? Will he live on his own? Will he be able to go to school? All of these things flood into your brain at once. And it's quite overwhelming, to be honest. Um, But then you just learn to kind of readjust your thinking. And it takes time. I don't know about you, but it's it's been a process. Um, And there's been a whole bunch of things that have helped us along the way. But um, but yeah, it took took a bit of time to adjust our thinking to this new world that we've just been uh, forced into. Yeah, I remember exactly that feeling of overwhelm. And I mean, did you know anything about Down syndrome before you got this diagnosis? Do you have any experience of knowing anybody with it? Because because I had literally I knew nothing. No, I just because I was a teacher teaching music in schools, I'd come across kids uh, with Down syndrome very briefly so i didn't really ever research it i never knew there was all of these underlying health issues that they were contending with at the time you know um and to be honest yeah i wasn't that clued up but my cousin his uh is disabled and she has um cerebral palsy she's in a wheelchair and i've seen the effect that it has on their family the my uncle and aunt have, you know they it's created a lot of strain on them so I, you know, I really admire them as people for bringing up my cousin, Alice. And, but that was going through my head as well. I was like, wow, that's going to really have an impact on us as parents. Um, you know, there's going to be a whole a lot of extra stuff that we have to contend with. Yeah. But uh, it's not a natural feeling, is it? When you have a child, you just kind of roll with it. Usually just change a few nappies and they grow. You don't really, you don't have to think about everything all at once um so yeah it was overwhelming and actually when you get a diagnosis like this you don't need to think about everything all at once you know like you said it is kind of stages isn't it and you know jim was talking about in the last episode you learn the bits that you need to learn when you're kind of going through i mean he's he's kind of you know looking into 
what does it what happens at the end of 18 you know Millie's three and a half and he's already thinking right when she's 18 yeah. I know how school works but what happens when she's 18 I'm not personally thinking that far ahead but I think actually it was the kind of that overwhelm it was the start of me that was yeah absolutely contributed to me putting my head in the sand and I think it's because mm. I was feeling all these things I was thinking all these things exactly the same what, what's it going to mean in terms of independence what's it going to be like at school how are people going to treat him are they going to treat him differently da, 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 da. what oh just completely like yeah. so all these thoughts at once and I just dealt with that by going right head and sand go you know stick it in and I think yeah I kind of told myself at the time I'm doing this because I need to be strong for Jem my fiance and I need to be strong for Leo you know, I need to be kind of stable and leading the way. Like man. Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, I can't deal the with man, my own feelings now. I must be man. And you know what? I'm not like that as a person. <laughs> Did you just gravitate towards a cave and just sit inside a cave for a while? You know, I've been, yeah, and I've been in my cave for ages. And I think this yeah. this series is really pushing me out of my comfort zone. I mean, yeah. how were you with it? Like, did you, did you talk about your feelings? Well, I, well, the first thing, cause when we received the diagnosis, we were given a little package. I don't know whether you received this, but um, it inside the package was a little booklet made by Pads, who yeah. were doing this um, podcast yeah. for, called Nobody Told Me. And I read through this book, and it's essentially accounts of people that have been through a similar situation to us and you know where they've got, gotten to in their lives. And there's adults there with Down syndrome who got married, there are um, families with children who are going to school. And reading that really kind of diluted the situation a bit for me yeah. um, and really helped. And then inside that package as well was a whole bunch of leaflets with local support groups. So um, we just went out and contacted a bunch of people. The first person we contacted was a lady called Lou Cooper, and she actually works with PADS as well. But she also runs a a local support group called Get On Downs. We sent her a message and she, instantly she sent this long email back to us, just reassuring us that it's all going to be okay. Congratulations. Like yeah. we'd never we hadn't received that news. It had all been like doom and gloom. But we were, you know, like, congratulations, you've got a special child. Mm-hmm. And then that was really affirming. And I remember we didn't we were so busy and swamped with everything, we didn't reply for a couple of days. And she wrote us another email saying, I hope everything's okay. And it was just really nice to receive that kind of warmth from someone who didn't even know us. And then subsequently, we went to to that support group for about three months. I went every week just hanging out with a bunch of mums, really, because <laughs> all the dads are at work. And because I'm a musician, I was like in between tours, I was at home. I was like, I could stay at home and feel sorry for myself, or I can immerse myself in this world and uh you know talk to other people and see where that goes and that really did help me and i went with my wife we would go every wednesday in the morning for a couple of hours and it's only five minutes from our house it was quite remarkable suddenly we're just surrounded by this whole new community of people that have been through a similar situation and just hearing all of their stories kind of helped me a lot because i suddenly realized that actually we can live a remotely normal life Asher will go to school and he will be able to walk and he will be able to talk. He'll make us laugh. He'll have his own character. He's going to be someone who has Down syndrome, but that doesn't necessarily define everything he is. So that helped. And I imagine it'll be the same in your area. There's probably a bunch of local support groups. There is. There is. I mean, you know, I'm going to be really honest. I'm always going to be really honest on this 
podcast. Like, I didn't have a great experience early on. We went to, so Leo was born early October, 2nd of October, and we went to a Christmas party um, in the December um, with one of the local organisations up here. And uh, they were really, really nice people. And I think it was amazing to go into a, a massive room and see just how many families were there. Like that was the first thing that kind of like surprised me. It's like, oh, wow, you know, this is, we are not the only ones. Like these are all people who live within a few miles radius of us. And they're all different families who've got, you know, a child with Down syndrome as part of their family and like all sorts of different people, you know, like different ages, different races, different everything. Yeah. And that that was a, a real kind of positive. Unfortunately, I had a, a, a few kind of early conversations in that that event that it felt a bit like trading war stories and I wasn't ready for that. Like Leo was yeah. a couple of months old and I wasn't ready to kind of think like, ah, oh, well, this could be a, a complication because of mm. the Down syndrome and this could be something and this is what... And, you know, although I was very grateful that they were sharing their experience, I wasn't ready to receive it. That's fair enough. It can be quite daunting. I went to a couple of those social groups and like you say, there's a whole array of different ages and there's a vast spectrum of uh, difficulties that these kids and adults are overcoming. So it can be quite daunting. I, I definitely felt that as well. Yeah. Uh, you feel like, oh God, maybe it's going to be a lot tougher than I initially thought. But then sometimes you think maybe it won't be as tough. So it's, it's tough. It depends on who you meet, I guess. And um how you're feeling at that time. I guess now, eight months on, you'll probably be in a different mental state to be able to process it differently, hopefully. I mean, I definitely, over the, yeah, over the time, I've definitely come to terms with the situation and I'm fully trying to embrace it and be positive about it as much as possible. And I'm sure you are as well, right? Yeah, I think the the thing for me that's that's changed everything is Leo getting a bit older and just seeing that he is a lovely, happy, kind mm. baby. Like he's just, he's got this lovely, gorgeous little personality. He's fine. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like he's happy. And you know, when, when they're a baby, they don't do much, do they? They're just kind of, no. they're, they're there and you've got to keep them alive and change <laughs> it and feed it and get up at three o'clock in the morning every night for what feels like months, even though it isn't months, but it feels like it's like the middle of the night, yeah. feeds are killing me. Um, <laughs> but then you kind of, yeah, the thing that changed is that that he's happy, you know, and he's, mm. he's lovely and he's just constantly smiling. And I think that's kind of made me go, right, okay, time for me to, to kind of put, I suppose it's my uncomfortableness to one side. You know, he's cool. Yeah. He's happy. Right. Time for me to really understand this and learn yeah. about it now. I mean, can I ask in terms of underlying health issues, any complications, how is Asher? So firstly, he came out, he was in hospital for a month, like I said before, he came out of hospital and it was a really weird time for us anyway, because my dad was seriously ill at the time. Right. And then the day, the day after he came out, my dad died. So it was, there's that, that we were dealing with that on top of everything else. So we were kind of clouded and like, we're like, what the hell is going on? I feel like there's a black cloud over me at the moment. There's all these things that are working against us. Uh, but we were elated 
by the fact that he'd come out and like he's overcome this first obstacle. But then two weeks later, he suffered this um, apneic episode and he just stopped breathing and he went blue. Yeah. And then we had to, when my wife performed CPR on him and it was a traumatic experience. Oh because, yeah, he went blue. It was weird because it was a real contrast. One, one minute we're dancing around, like trying to be positive and trying to enjoy and make the best of the situation, dancing to some music in our kitchen. Then my wife says, Rich, like he's he's going blue, he's going blue, what's going on? And then she was freaking out, screaming. He's like, he's not breathing, he's dying, he's dying. I'm like, okay, let's get him on the floor, do CPR, phone the ambulance. So I phoned the ambulance and then the ambulance came within five minutes. Wow. And luckily he performed CPR and got him breathing in that time. And then they took him to the hospital and he stayed in for a week because he had bronchiolitis. And this is quite common with a lot of children with Down syndrome. They'll have small airways. So any slight congestion becomes a potentially serious issue. Yeah. So for that first year, he, he was in like three or four times with bronchiolitis for a week at a time. And then we were like, this, what's going on here? This, there must be some kind of underlying issue, like a respiratory issue that we're not fully aware of. Um, so he was at risk of aspiration, which is once again, a word I'd never really heard in that context before. Um, and then he, can you explain? So what aspiration means? It's like re reflux essentially. So it's like okay. a, a worse form of reflux, but the, the reflux will come up and it will go back down, right. Essentially sit around the, the lungs mm -hmm. and cause an infection which they thought might be causing the bronchiolitis. But because it's silent, we weren't aware. So we, we can't tell if it's happening or not. Yeah. And that usually happens when he's either drinking something or um, eating, but it's mainly liquids. So we had to thicken his liquids to make sure that this wouldn't potentially happen. Um, but then around that time also, we discovered he had a hole in his heart as well. So which again, is a really common thing, isn't it? Yeah, the exactly. children first, Yeah, yeah. When we first received the diagnosis, these are the things we were reading about. You know, is there a bowel issue? Is there a heart issue? And turns out his bowels are fine. He's, uh, you know, in that department, he loves going to the toilet and pooing, which is good. Not for me, but it's good for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but then he has these these holes in his heart, uh, which is a VSD, and they thankfully closed by themselves, so they healed up. But he also had something called a PDA, which is a little duct at the top of the heart, which is supposed to close when when they're born, but that didn't close. And that was, as a result, putting strain on his lungs and affecting his breathing and just affecting most things. And like the lungs and the heart aren't working at full capacity. So he was constantly tired and out of breath. And he had this really raspy breathing constantly, which is called stridor apparently which i once again a word i'd never heard sounds like a character from lord of the rings or something but uh, i'd never heard of it and he he kind of sounded like a mixture between bane and donald duck which okay. said, it sounded terrible but it didn't necessarily mean he was ill we would take him out to calves or whatever take him to the park people would be looking at us very strangely like why are you bringing your child here he sounds like he's dying but he just had this raspy breath. That was just what it was. And 
it was a result of his lungs not working at full capacity and also he had a floppy larynx right so um so yeah so all of these things we're trying to kind of work out what all of it meant we didn't know we're suddenly studying all of these conditions on top of down syndrome i feel like we should have a phd by this point because oh, we suddenly know yeah um but yeah then on top of that he has a glue ear as well so he has yeah. a hearing band which once again is very very common um with kids with down syndrome um he's got issues of his sight as well um we've got very small optic nerve at the back of his eye um which is the, the thing that gives the information to the brain when you're seeing stuff um and then so he had this heart operation to close the pda at the beginning of 2022 and we noticed like a great change after that you know he was moving around more he had more energy more color in his cheeks you know because his heart was working now and as a result his lungs were working his breathing came a lot better the stridor and the heavy Donald Duck breathing kind of got better. Um, but as we were in hospital at the Royal Brompton, they picked up on the fact that he wasn't getting enough oxygen when he was sleeping. So they said, we want to bring him back for a sleep study. We had to do one of them we're, recently. Yeah. So we're like, really? Yeah. Come on. Like we just had his heart operation, which was grueling enough and emotionally draining. But now we've got to bring him back again. To the royal brompton um for something else and so that's what we did so three weeks later we turned up and did a sleep study and it turns out that he wasn't getting enough oxygen during sleeping but he also wasn't getting rid of enough carbon dioxide so he was essentially suffering from sleep apnea right. um and, th and then they said he's going to need to sleep with a, a ventilator and a mask on his face uh for potentially the rest of his life for all we know but it could get better as he grows and the airways get bigger. So they said there's a number of factors that could be causing that, but it's too early to say. So that was almost, well, it's about a year and a half ago now. Um, so yeah, he's been sleeping with this machine. And that, that's been a massive obstacle as well. Um, and another thing we've had to readjust to. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, we're, we're doing it. We're taking it with our stride and once again, since he's had that ventilator, he's come along so well. Like he's walking now, he's making noises. He's he's doing sign to yeah. us. He's like he's all on the verge of talking to us and forming words. And like you said, he's laughing. His character's really like blooming so much at the moment that he's, yeah. you know, that that kind of makes it all worthwhile. <music> Can I talk to you about something now that you're absolutely well within your rights to say, do one, Ben, we've literally just met. How dare you ask me that? Like, feel free to just end the Zoom call now and just leave and fly <laughs> off to your next amazingly cool gig in Europe. But you mentioned earlier that you looked at your auntie and uncle and your cousin and, you know, you saw that her disability put a strain on their relationship how has it been for you guys in the last couple of years yeah so she's like fairly old now she's an adult and like i said it really did put a strain on them and it's changed their whole lives and i was i've just admired them for my whole my whole life just they live in leeds i'll, I'll get to see them maybe once a year but 
I always looked at them and was just just astounded by how like resilient they were to the situation and they stayed together and they're a unit and they worked together to really help Alice uh, achieve everything she could achieve. But I feel like the same things happened with my wife and I. We've always, we've been together now for 18 years. We've just celebrated our 14-year wedding anniversary a couple of weeks ago. Congratulations. So um, thank you. Yeah, so we've got a strong relationship. And I guess these kind of things can divide you potentially, or they can make you stronger. But luckily, we work well together. My wife has just been incredible with just really pushing it. She really fights for everything for Asha. So that would be a bit of advice, actually, for other parents that are potentially listening to this. You know, you've really got to kind of fight the cause and just make sure you get that diagnosis if your child needs that diagnosis. You know, there's a lot out there that you can get from the government. We've had occupational therapists come into our house and they've given us a big bed for Asher that goes up and down, which helps with his reflux, stuff like that, which is an expensive thing to buy. They gave us a, a good high chair, which helps with his posture, which means that his legs aren't kind of dangling around. All these things I had no clue about, but my wife is totally on top of it. She works so hard to really get everything that Asher deserves. How about you? Has it strengthened your relationship? You know what? It absolutely has. And we're a great team, you know, and we always have been. I think actually the thing that's been really interesting is that, you know, every new parent gets into that kind of, right, right, you pass me that and can you do this? And have you got the bottle? And you get into that kind of like, like yeah. most of your interactions are, you know, functional. We need this. This needs to happen. The baby needs this. Have we thought about that? Have we packed that? No, we've run out of those. I think because Leo's got Down syndrome and we've had more kind of, like you say, you know, there's there's extra checks, there's extra tests, there's this, that. And it, I kind of, I think we've both maybe been quite, like brilliantly functional and a great team, but have we been too teamy and not, you know, soon to be yeah. husband and wifey? I can totally relate to that. Like on one side, we've like really suffered from lack of sleep because of Ash's ventilator as well. That's right. like another added dimension. But yeah, it is a strain. I also relate to what you're saying there about you're just constantly focusing on everything to do with Asha or everything to do with Leo. You're kind of making sure he's got the right food, making sure he's got the vitamins. Is he going to make it to the next appointment? I'll give you a lift, then I'll pick you up, and then we'll go home. And then if you've got dinner ready for later, all these things, it's just this big daily struggle. And then you actually forget to to actually be a husband and wife. And we, because of Ash's conditions, we didn't really get a chance to go out together for a long time because we couldn't really leave him. So I'd go out with my friends and Seb would go out with her friends, but we hadn't really been out together for ages. And then we went to a gig. I think we went to see Go Go Penguin. That was the first time we'd been out in like two years. And it really, it was amazing. Felt like yeah. I was a teenager again on a date. It was really awesome. You, I really fancy you. You'll yeah. Fit. <laughs> oh, you're you're wearing your your date leather jacket. Oh, you look really hot. So that was yeah. great. Just doing that, it made you kind of normalise things a bit. And then you you know you don't feel like you're just stuck in this bubble mm. of trying to get through the day. Um, and yeah, now we're going out more, and uh, things are starting to settle down. Yeah. And the dust is settling. 
But during that first year, it was a bit manic. And I guess a lot of parents listening to this will be going through that. And it does get a lot easier, things normalize. And at the time when you receive these drastic bits of news, you think, what? I can't deal with this. This is There's no way out of this. But as time goes on, it becomes normal and you just yeah. adapt. And right now, you know, it's just, this is our life and I'm happy. My wife's happy. We've got yeah. a strong family and Ash is happy. So, yeah. you know, it, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Rich, it's been really awesome to meet you. And I'd, I'd love to keep in touch if that's cool with you. Uh, it's, yeah, 100%. You know, I, I think I'm definitely, I'm slow out the blocks, but I, I want to catch up now and I want to be active and I want to learn and I want to, to kind of, to be vulnerable, you know, and to kind mm. of, and to make connections. So it's great to speak to you. Thank you so yeah. much for your time today. Rich Henshaw, no dad to Asher, two years old. Great to meet you. Cheers, Ben. And it was a pleasure meeting you too. Thank you for listening to the Pads Dads podcast. I really hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, please share it with someone you think might find it interesting. Um, And of course, please don't forget to check out Down Syndrome UK. Their website is downsyndromeuk.co.uk or you can search for Positive About Down Syndrome on social media. Pads is all about promoting greater inclusion and acceptance, providing training and resources to maternity units and health professionals, but also, of course, supporting families of children with Down Syndrome through up-to-date information and support, counselling, working with experts to provide online early development courses. There's so much stuff that Down Syndrome UK do, so please do have a look. Uh, In fact, you can go and find specific resources, downsyndromeuk.co.uk forward slash resources. Um, The final thing to say is don't forget there is a Pads Dads and a Pads Dads to Be. There are two closed private Facebook groups. If you want to join them, just search for them on Facebook. Um, Thank you so much again for listening. We really appreciate your time and I really hope that you join me again to meet another Pads Dad next time.